Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. That's right. It is, in fact, Tuesday. My name is Nate Thurston. Charlie's not going to be here for the next uh, 20 or so minutes, but if you're listening on Liberty at Night, you will be hearing from co-host Charlie. Check us out, goodmorningliberty.us. Go to bernielies.com. That'll give you all of our links. Godhatesfeds.com. That gives you all the links for the merchandise and all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter, X, all of those things. So we got a few news items we're going to be running through today. There's one that I've heard a lot of people talk about, but I haven't heard it talked about in the libertarian sense yet. And that's this this APNORC poll that came out. And they frame it as uh, spelling trouble for for Biden because the majority of people think he's too old to run for president again. The sad part about it is that that's, that's not going to matter. So we had this poll come out. Uh, president Joe Biden is old and confused, and former President Donald Trump is corrupt and dishonest. Those are among the top terms Americans use when they're asked to describe the Democrat in the White House and the Republican best position to face him in next year's election. If we go through some of the results here on this poll, uh, you look at uh, age being a problem for Joe Biden. Overall, 77% of the people answered yes, age is a problem. Democrats, 69% of them said yes. Uh, Republicans, 89% of them said yes. The other 11% were lying about being Republicans. For Donald Trump, uh, 51% said age was a problem. Overall, 71% of Democrats said age was a problem. More than said age was a problem for Biden, by the way. And 28% of Republicans said that age was a problem for Donald Trump. In fact, age is probably a problem for both of them, although I don't see... Uh, age being a factor with Trump near as much as Joe Biden. So I would have been it more affecting Joe Biden. When you look at the words associated with them, though, you look at the state here of politics in America. Listen, we know that the 2024 election, as long as both of these guys are alive and kicking, I believe it's going to be between Biden and Trump. There is some talk that Biden's going to step out of the way and someone else is going to jump in. Even people speculating that old Bernie Sanders might jump in and do it. And of course, a lot of people talking about robot Gavin Newsom could come up. I don't know, but let's look at the words associated when it comes to Joe Biden. Old is 26% of the adults slow, confused and bumbling 15%. To me, those both go along with old Liar, dishonest, or untrustworthy is 2%. Uh, corrupt, criminal, or crooked is 6%. For Donald Trump, old was 1%. Slow was 3%. Liar was 8%. And corrupt was 15 So if you look at the comparisons between the two, from all the adults that were polled, the 1,165 adults that answered on this poll between August 10th and 14th, uh, you got 6% for Joe Biden saying corrupt and 15% for Donald Trump saying corrupt. You got 26 for Biden saying old, aging, elderly, and 1% for Donald Trump. I do see that there's some ground to be made up for getting people to realize that Joe Biden is just as corrupt, criminal, and crooked. And the liar 
dishonest, untrustworthy, only 2% for Biden, 8% for Donald Trump. Those should both be uh, about even, but they're not the first words that come to mind. So they are asking what the first words that come to mind. Not that none of these things apply to these guys. All right. The, uh, the next thing here, Democrats, older and younger Democrats believe Biden is too old to run for president. Not just they think he's old. They think he's too old to effectively serve another four years as the president. Uh, Democrats, 18 to 44, 77% of them said yes, he was too old to effectively serve another four years. Democrats, 45 plus, 62% of them said that he was too old to serve another four years. But then you get to what the actual problem here is in the state of our electoral system in America. As far as definitely would support or probably would support for Joe Biden, uh, all Democrats, you've got a total of... 82% of them would definitely or probably support Joe Biden. I'll remind you once again, that's after around 70% of them said that he was too old to serve another four years. They answered yes on that, but 82% of them said, yeah, I'll support him. And so what happens there? What's the disconnect? And the disconnect is that we, we live in a, we live in a world where People have been made to be so fearful of the other party getting control, and especially of Donald Trump getting control, although we had four years of Donald Trump, and I think everything ended up pretty fine. A lot of people said that their lives got better while Trump was the president, but you're made to be so fearful of the other person getting in control that at the end of the day, you'll decide to hold your nose and vote for your party for fear of what would happen if the other party were the win. That is a big part of what's problem. Not only, not only that, as a Democrat, you know that there could be other options. But when you come out there and you say, yeah, I think he's too old, you know, probably can't serve another four years as president, but yeah, I'll support him. Well, then why would they put someone else up there? Why, why not just run him? Someone that polls better, or at least even with Trump, as opposed to someone like Gavin Newsom. Or, uh, or Bernie Sanders. That's the problem with the system, is that we keep taking it. This two-party system, this duopoly system, we're basically both the same party. I mean, I prefer Republicans to win over Democrats for sure, uh, but they're not that different. They're not as different as they portray themselves to be. And Americans just keep going with it. And so why would anything actually change? That's why things never do actually change. I think that if you think Biden is too old to be the president, then you should you should not vote. Maybe the people that run the Democratic Party will say, "Okay, well, when people don't think this person should be running for president, uh, maybe we should try and get someone else to run for president. Well, if you just go out there and vote, why are they going to do that? They would have no reason to do that. Same thing with Republicans. I don't want Trump to be the nominee. I'm sorry. I don't. I I think he's going to be the nominee, but I'm not going to vote for him. I already didn't vote for him two times. I'm not going to vote for him this third time either. I'm just not going to. And I know that I'm in a minority of people who are going to vote libertarian or or, uh, write in someone or whatever, but I think more people really should do that. So these people start to get the message that this actually matters. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we're faced with a crossroads in life and we don't really know which path to take. Maybe you're thinking about a career change or feeling like your relationship needs 
a little love. Whatever it is, therapy can help you map out your future and trust yourself to find the way forward. I've done therapy in the past, and honestly, it helped me quite a lot. Changed my life, made me who I am today. And our co-host, Charlie, he's still using BetterHelp to this day. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash G-M-L. A couple other things here on the, the election coming up. Now let me know what you think, by the way. You can always send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us. That's goodmorningliberty.us. That is our daily show that Charlie and I do, of course, when we want to, of course. I can't find a good outcome for 2024. I've been playing through all the options and I've been trying to gameplay this thing. Let's say that Trump gets the nomination, as it looks like he will. Uh, Let's say that he wins in 2024. Can you imagine... I mean, look how crazy the left went while Trump was president. Just look how crazy they went. Can you imagine how much more crazy they're going to be and what all they're going to pull out in 2028 to make sure that they win the next election after that? I'm just saying, it could be the most insane four years we've ever seen. And maybe that's what we deserve. It probably it is what we deserve if that's what if that's what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens with the left. Maybe they'll burn themselves out. I'm not really sure. What happens if Trump gets the nomination and loses? Well, then we get four more years of Joe Biden and probably Kamala Harris. What are the actual odds that Biden's going to finish his term? I don't. Uh, you know, they can't be that great. Another four years of Biden and then eventually Kamala Harris or whoever else is actually going to be running the show. Well, that sounds really terrible, too. But you know what? Republicans are a lot better when they're that their rhetoric is better. Their promises are better when they're not actually in control. They become sort of libertarian. You get your Tea Party type Republicans to come out and maybe that'll actually uh, stoke a real movement for 2028 where there's some type of a I don't know, a a Liberty Republican that runs and gets a lot of support because we just went through eight years of of Biden, Harris, whoever else could potentially be running the show. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out which outcome is better uh, because I, I don't see it going great, honestly, either way. I think Trump is going to be most interested in punishing his opponents and people who did think... It, my, my problem is that it's not going to be a principle. It's just going to be a big vendetta, revenge, that he could actually do some things that are not constitutional and that when people complain about it, even though they're hypocrites, they could be right that it's unconstitutional. And so I just see it being a pretty, a pretty confusing time. Someone send me an email and tell me why one thing is better and why I'm just being way too pessimistic about the situation. Nate at goodmorningliberty.us. I will be checking. I will be watching. Let's move on. Speaking of Biden, from the New York Post, Biden's food stamp expansion is linked to a 15% jump in grocery prices. 
This is uh, from a study. A push by the Biden administration to increase food stamp benefits to the tune of $1 trillion could be responsible for a 15% rise in prices at the grocery store, according to a government watchdog report. The Department of Agriculture rolled out revised nutritional standards for the SNAP program in 2021 that expanded the program by 27% on average from pre-COVID pandemic levels, the Foundation for Government Accountability found. Overall spending on the program more than doubled between 2019 and 2022, going from $4.5 billion in 2019 to $11 billion in 2022. That's right. In 2019, pre-COVID, the government was spending $4.5 billion for SNAP, and now it's gone up to $11 billion. The spending hit $8.6 billion in March of 2023, despite some emergency allotments having expired and is expected to rise by 5.8% over the course of the year, the expansion is projected to cost U.S. taxpayers more than a trillion over the next decade. The increase in spending on food stamps has fueled a rise in grocery prices and contributed to high inflation, the group says. Quote, USDA cooked their books to hike food stamp benefits by 27%, the largest permanent increase in program history, and they bypassed Congress to do it. Data show the Biden administration's overreach led to massive spikes in grocery prices. They're feeding inflation, not stopping hunger. The study cited retail scanner data from the World Bank following the Great Recession of 2008 that found food prices go up 1% for each 12.5% hike in per capita food stamp spending. And we all know what's been happening. They go through uh, egg prices, meat prices, things like that. It's all gone up. And this makes complete and total sense when you look at free market economics. We're not in a free market. But when you look at the economics of doubling the amount that you were giving to people to go and spend at the grocery store, and they're out there using their government funny money to buy things at the grocery store, you give people more buying power. We already know about all the stimmy checks as well, but then we also got increased SNAP benefits. And so that actually fuels higher prices. People have more buying power. They're likely to buy more things. And so, therefore, prices are able to go up. Does that mean the grocery stores are greedy? Sure, grocery stores are greedy, just like everyone else is greedy. I'm greedy, you're greedy, everyone listening. All the Democrats and the Republicans are all greedy because they're all human beings. This is what happens in the natural, the price system. You got more buying power for these goods. That means the prices are going to be able to go up. You got an artificial spike in demand for these products. And so the more money the government puts into these systems, the more buying power there is, the more demand there is, the more the prices can go up, and the more that hurts everyone who isn't getting SNAP. And so then you're you're pushed naturally. Uh, there's always this tendency, it seems, to get people dependent on the government. Because as the prices go up, you get closer and closer to needing help. Maybe you didn't, you're not in poverty yet, but you're, you're getting closer and closer. Food prices are going up and then maybe the government's going to come in and help you sometime. But the more they help, the more they hurt. And so this, once again, it's not surprising. And we got to pay attention. Anytime the government talks about spending money on anything, it's going to lead to an increase in the prices. Uh, When they talk about uh, medical care, when they talk about school, uh, we've seen what happens when they enter those markets, uh, when they talk about giving people money for affordable housing or for their mortgages or whatever, we've seen what happens. And speaking of, 
helping people out with their mortgages. Now, this is technically a this is a company in the market that's offering to do this, but this is a bad sign. It's not great. I'm not saying we're about to have a housing market collapse or anything like that, but this is one of those things that you pay attention to. Like Zillow offering a 1% down payment loan program. 1% down payment. For buyers facing affordability challenges, getting into a home on their own, Zillow Home Loans is rolling out a new option, a 1% down payment. Now, we could look at this in a good way and say, hey, look at the free market system. Uh, They're coming in here, helping people out. You know, people can't afford to get a home and Zillow is going to come in here and they're essentially going to subsidize the other part of the loan. Uh, I happen to look at this as a as a bad sign. Maybe it's cool that they're doing it, but I happen to look at it as a bad sign. Through the program, an eligible buyer pays as little as 1% toward a down payment. Zillow Home Loans pays an additional 2%, bringing the total down payment to 3%, which is typically the minimum payment required for a conventional home loan. So that means that it's still going to be 3%. It's just you're only going to have to pay for 1%. Alternatively, buyers can put down 3 and then Zillow will also do 2 and bring the total down payment to 5%. The 2% is paid through closing costs and not as a payment to the borrower. Currently, the program is only available to buyers in Arizona, but the plan is for it to expand. Home buying is the least affordable it's been in 40 years, with mortgage rates crossing over 7% in recent weeks and home prices rising. Home sales have plummeted over the last year. Prices are staying high because inventory remains stubbornly low as climbing mortgage rates are keeping people who have ultra-low interest rates from wanting to sell. I can confirm that. My wife and I would actually like to get a new house right now. We've been wanting to sell for a bit. I don't want to go pay over 7% for a new house. We've, you know, like like most people who owned a home over the last uh, 10 years, it's, you know, it's great, gone up in value, that's awesome, Uh, but I don't want to go get a 7% loan on a, on a new house. I want to see what happens uh, when these things come, come crashing down. There's a reason the rates are going up so high. Of course, the fed has been raising the rates. They're trying to, uh, they're, they're trying to absorb this inflation back out of the economy. And this is another thing that's going to kind of extend this process. You know, Zillow wasn't going to come in and help people. Then you've got, then you've got people who wouldn't be able to get the homes and then the prices can go down sooner Uh, What needs to happen is that the market needs to adjust and the prices of the homes need to come down. Eventually, the Fed's going to lower the rates back down and then people will be able to come back in and buy homes. The big problem in this entire scenario is that it's so difficult to build new houses. It's gotten very expensive to build new houses thanks to all of the inflation. Um, It's difficult on a regulatory basis to build new houses. The government makes it difficult to actually increase the supply. And so when you make it hard to increase the supply of new houses or even new apartments, whatever kind of units they are, well, then there's a lower supply and then there's an ever increasing demand for places for people to live. And so the price keeps going up. We need to make it easier to increase the supply of houses. 
there is a balance to this and they don't want to upset the balance because let's say you came in and all of a sudden you wiped away all the regulations and made it easier to build houses and apartments and all that. Well, they know and the banks know and everyone knows that that would have a deflationary effect on the price of housing. And a lot of people who just paid all these high prices would be upside down on their loans because now we got an increased supply and now there's so much inventory out there that they got to lower the prices down because that's what happens with supply and demand. And there's a lot of people in the works that don't want that to happen. And so I, I think there's maybe some regulatory capture here that's taking place and just natural government tendencies to make everything more difficult. The bottom line is, now this, once again, this is Zillow coming in, and I don't know if they're going to be able to handle paying this 2% for every person that qualifies. They're just doing it in Arizona right now. But Zillow is not doing all that great, especially with home sales being down so much. I believe their revenue was down 20%. I can't, don't quote me on that. Don't make any trades based on that. Uh, revenue from its mortgage business, uh, was $24 million, down 70, 17% year over year, uh, according to its earnings for the second quarter. I don't know how long they can do this. I don't know if the people that are going to be just paying the 1% down are going to end up getting screwed on this. The bottom line is, just like in 2006, 7, and 8, if you can only put 1% down on a house, you, you probably aren't in the position to be buying a house at that time. In fact, technically, you are not in the position to be buying a house at that time. And so maybe renting is a better option while you're saving up money. Maybe renting, uh, splitting the place with some roommates or whatever is a better option. Uh, And you don't need to be getting into a home when you can't afford to put the down payment on the home. Now, eventually getting into a home is a a pretty good deal. I mean, my wife and I are paying less now than we were for our rent seven years ago and way less now than we would if we were renting the same place. Uh, So I understand that can be enticing to get in. But also, you want to make sure that you can afford to keep paying for it so we don't get get ourselves into a 2006, 7, and 8 scenario again. Coming up, we're going to talk about the shooting in Jacksonville and the... Rangers running through those climate protesters in Nevada. Liberty at night. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org. There was a shooting in Jacksonville 
Florida. That is sad, of course, because uh, Ron DeSantis is the governor, and he signed permitless carry or something like that. Mm. I don't know what he signed, but that's why the shooting happened. And he was shouting from a bullhorn mm-hmm. for people to go out in the streets and kill people. Probably. That's exactly yeah. what happened. I did see someone saying that, so that's why I wanted to, to joke about it. Like, oh, Ron DeSantis signed permitless carry or whatever it is. I don't think it's the case that the shooter like, got out of it. He was like, oh, great, finally. I can walk from my car into the Dollar General and no one's going to call the cops on me in there because it's okay for me to carry this AR-15 and have a bulletproof vest on and, and all of that. Yeah. Beforehand, someone would have saw him get out holding the AR-15 and a bulletproof vest on. They would have called the cops. Cops would have got there before the guy got into the Dollar General. And this is all because you're able to carry a gun. Mm. That's, ex- that's, that's exactly mm. what it was. Anyway, I bet he got this gun legally too, and he did get it legally. Two guns legally. Mm -hmm. He used a Glock and a and some type of a AR-15 style assault rifle. So the scary, the scariest gun imaginable. Very scary gun. Yeah. All joking aside, uh, three people plus the shooter were killed. We don't like death. Mm -mm. I don't know if we've said it in a while. We since we started this show, that was one of our you know. One of our core principles, mm-hmm. you guys, you guys haven't been to the studio, but hanging on the wall back there is, you know, it's our core principles of Good Morning Liberty and listed on there. I can't remember what number it is, but listed on there is we're against death very much as an death. organization. So, Antita. Exactly. Anti-death. All right. What do we got? How did the shooting unfold? 1140 a.m. The, govern- the gunman left his parents house, headed towards Edward Waters University. Now, he originally went towards a HBCU, a historic, historically black college. Mm. This was a racist attack. The, the dude does seem to be racist. His AR-15 style rifle did have a swastika drawn on it as well. He went towards that. It says the university security team notified Jacksonville Sheriff's Office to say there was a suspicious person on campus. He left. He went to a Dollar General. He got out, went into the Dollar General, and uh, killed three people, and then killed himself. So, very sad. There was a manifesto. He left writings for his parents, the police, and uh, and all that. I don't know if they're going to fully release the manifesto. I think it's sometime after the Nashville shooter's manifesto. But it does seem like he didn't like black people, and he was mm. trying to go somewhere and kill black people. This is sad. So... Charlie, as a white person, how are you going to take responsibility for this shooting? I don't. What are you going to make? What are you going to do to make sure that no one else who shares your skin color does anything like this ever again? Well, I'm probably going to support Maj Tory, who mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. making sure that black people have guns as okay. well. Because you know, you know, one way to defeat a gun is to have another a gun. another gun. In fact. A gun is what killed this guy. Yeah. Mastray, or, I don't know how you say it exactly. But. <clears throat> He's got that, uh, what's that organization called? I can't remember what it is now. Black Guns Matter? Is it Black Guns Matter? Yeah, so I think I think black people should be armed. I think everyone should be armed. Mm-hmm. You have to protect yourself. Did you see the video of the guy with no arms in the wheelchair committing an armed robbery? <laughs> he was no. literally holding the gun with his feet. He cocked the gun with yeah. his feet. So a foot robbery. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> and I'm sorry. We can make fun of the guy because he was freaking. I guess he was still bearing an arm. He said, this is how I can finally bear arms. Yes. Dan says legged robbery. 
He had no criminal record. Uh, we will state the gunman's name. Ryan Christopher Paul Metter. Paul, Paul Metter. 21 years old. Mm. He had no criminal record, though the authorities had held him for an involuntary 72-hour psychiatric evaluation in 2017 when he was 15 years old. A year earlier, the police received a domestic violence call involving him and his brother. Psychiatric evaluations under the floor of the law known as the Baker Act do not show up in the background checks unless the person has been committed for treatment. Plus, he was a minor at the time that they used that, and I don't know if that kind of stuff transfers to the time that you're 21 either. So some people have been saying he shouldn't have been allowed to get the guns in the first place because this whole Baker Act thing, uh, that's been a little bit of the argument, but mainly it's all been about white supremacy because that is a major, major problem in America right now. In fact, it's the number one terrorist threat that we face in America. This is a typical two-hour block on the weekend in Chicago. I know. That's the... You know, four people died in one shooting. I know. That happens at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. How did you do it? Like, why are we just in the same kind of mind space right here? So I did pull up a few things, exactly what Charlie was talking about. Any loss of life is tragic. Yes. It does not mean that this is not important. It doesn't matter and that we shouldn't be sorry about everyone. But there is a reason that people jump on specific situations and not others. I was just thinking last week or the week before, like, man, I haven't, we haven't been having a conversation about mass shootings in a while. But the next time one happens, they're going to tell us that there's two every single day. But somehow we just went two months without talking about a mass shooting. Mm. How does that happen? It's because there wasn't one that people wanted to talk about. Because when you look in Chicago, like what Charlie brought up, you might have 20 people killed over the weekend. And that that's not a major news story, of course, because it's normal. You got this situation right here that just happened two days ago in Maryland. This is a 17-year-old, a 65-year-old, and a 38-year-old all got killed. Three people got killed. And then the uh, this says family member, Devin Brown, 34 years old, looks like then got killed also. This was, I believe, a murder-suicide. Three people, three innocent people killed. And then the guy either killed himself or the cops killed them. I don't know which one it was. Here's another one in Louisville. We got a victim, 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 victim. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six people shot. Looks like two of them died. Four of them were injured at a restaurant and lounge in Louisville, Kentucky on August 27th. Is everyone really up to date on all the facts of this case? There were six people shot. Two of them died. Is that what we're talking about right now? No, but there is a reason that we talk about very specific situations. We got a white guy who specifically targeted black people. He had swastikas. Swastika on the AR. 20 pages of hate Mm -hmm. messages that he wrote on his computer. And so that is why we are discussing this. But it doesn't mean that there aren't people getting killed all the time. And that is important. First off, let's take a break for something stupid. From Jamel Hill. Oh, God. Because it does have something to do with the situation, kind of. Were we about to get dumber? It's getting a little dumb here for a sec. This might be in Dumbly for the Week. We got to do Dumbly for the Week on Thursday, by the way. Oh. uh, Because I'm going to Jacksonville, Mm. Florida. Um, Nikki Haley said, the truth is, a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for President Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. 
And Jamel Hill said, so part of the reason racism is such a terrible sickness in this country is because politicians like this know they can rally a certain base with the fear of, oh, my God, a black woman might be president if you don't vote for me. Then we want to act all surprised when the most hateful part of the base decides they need to act out on their feelings of hatred. <clears throat> it's because she's a black woman. Yes, that is exactly it's the why. only reason. Not because she's absolutely terrible. <laughs> she can't talk. She has no personality whatsoever. She's an evil person. She ra- she arrested a bunch of black people for weed. Tons of them. And then and joked in about the, smoking weed herself. And put them in jail. And then she, she some, I mean, you're some, talking, they're still in jail. Some of them you're talking about withholding sculptory evidence. Like all, she is an evil, evil government prosecutor. And it has nothing to do with the fact that she's black at all. She's I, awful. I wouldn't care if it was a white male. Yeah. Just like Joe Biden. You can hate Joe Biden for some of the I, same reasons. I do actually. <laughs> in fact, I tried during the election. I tried to tell people like, so the guy who invented the three strike rule, basically <laughs> the modern day putting black people in jail. That's the guy you want to vote for. Yeah. And then he, t- and then he said that Mitt Romney was going to put you all back in chains. It's, he was the one literally putting people in chains. Yeah. Anyway, that just take a little, it's chattel prison dumb break there for a minute. Yeah. So Charlie, this idea right here, go ahead from the Hill. So Biden denounces the Jacksonville shooting. And this is his quote here. We must refuse to live in a country where black families going to the store or black students going to school live in fear of being gunned down because of the color of their skin. Hate must have no safe harbor, says Biden. So I I agree, well, except for refusing to live in a whatever, where black families going to the store live in fear of being gunned down because of the color of their skin. Now, I happen to be, I don't know, OCD, we'll say about statistics and things that you should actually be scared about except for when it comes to flying in planes very scared about that yeah i also don't like going in the ocean because those sharks are everywhere dude we were in and hardly anyone gets bit we were in destin and the guy you know people go up and they'll they'll go fishing uh you know just right there on the beach yeah on the, on the sandbar the guy it wasn't even sandbar he was in a, in a chair just like sitting right mm. here next to us cast out a line out Those there his toes in the water a little bit. Toes his, in the sand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he, he have any worries? No, but he did have a... He had a drink in his hand. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what he also had in his hand later on? A shark! He caught a shark from sitting right next to us. Because he was giving them food. I'd be giving them food if I was going out there, too. But how big was the shark? It was big enough to kill you. You think so? It was uh, realistically like two feet, but the thing had a mouth and some teeth in it. Yeah. So it was a baby shark. If it bitchy in the right, do do to do. Don't even do that. That's right what now. it was. Yeah. You know, people just got mad at you right then. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Here. What were we talking about? Biden. Oh, statistics. You were talking about statistics. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. But right. you're like, ah, there's things I shouldn't so, be afraid of statistically, but you are. So I want to know, like flying in planes with sharks. I want to know statistically. <laughs> I wouldn't get on a shark plane either. I no. Mean, that seems I'm weird. Sharks on that plane, yeah. you know. So I <laughs> wanted to look at. The, I, know, I wanted to look at the numbers. So 2019, most recent data you can find from the FBI, crime in the United States, and you look at murders. So this is something people have brought up several times. The question is: Should black people be going around in fear of getting gunned down by white people? Is that the question? 
can we not act like this is just a crisis for black Americans to be living in fear of white people going around killing them because they're black? And I know you're looking here trying to do the trying to do the math, but I did it right here already, just in case. Aren't you impressed like that 20 minutes I had to prepare mm-hmm. for this? You know, I'm over yeah. here crunching numbers and all that. Okay. Super impressed. Murder. You did a great job. Thank you. Murder, black or African-American, is the victim. So a black person is the victim. 2,906 murders. 246 of them were committed by a white person. And 2,574 of them were committed by a black person. So that's black on black murder. Statistically speaking, 88%. They also also have other and unknown. Yes. Which is a little strange. Mm. Like uh, these aliens. (laughs) No, I don't know. Who's killing these? Not people. sure. So, of the black people murdered, according to this FBI statistic right here, 88% of them were killed by, uh, by black people, and 8% of them were killed by white people. Okay? For white people, 3,299 murdered. 78% of them were killed by white people. So, white on white crime. White on whitey. And then... 17% of them were killed by black people. Hmm. Now, neither black people or white people statistically should be walking around for scared of the fear of getting gunned down by people of the opposite race, because statistically you'll get killed by someone who's the same race yeah. as you are. But I, I will say... I mean, your highest chance of being murdered is by a drunk family member. Mm-hmm. Just like one of those stories we were just looking at. I'm yes. sure there's a drunk family member. Mm-hmm. Guarantee you. Uh, so so be careful. That's why I stopped drinking. Lacey was like, <laughs> I lucked out this time, but I don't know how many times, how many lives I got left. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so for white people getting killed by black people, that is 17% of the murders. And for black people getting killed by white people, that is 8% of the murders. And we are supposed to go down and just be really worried about this narrative. And we should make black people afraid because people will be afraid of anything the government tells them to be afraid of. Look at COVID, Mm -hmm. like a half of a percent or less mortality rate with this thing. And then if you're like young and in good health, it's like next to nothing, basically. But people still go around being really scared of it, you know. So if you go around preaching to people about why they should be scared about something, eventually you can make people scared of it. Well, and they're using a recent event that obviously has very high emotions and they're using those emotions to try and manipulate you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about how you feel about a certain situation so that you don't go look at the data and realize, Hmm, statistically I shouldn't really be that afraid. No, but because of this one situation that they're talking about right now, I'm going to look at all white people as a threat now. And in fact, most people, you shouldn't even be worried about getting murdered in general. Those numbers are pretty small. I don't know if that really covers all of the murders in the United States. It seems like there would be a lot more than that. I'm not really sure. But statistically, as far as the different ways that you can die, also, it's it's not, not that big. Of course, it's also going to depend on what street you live on and what city as well. And in a lot of those places, you definitely shouldn't be worried about someone of the opposite race coming and killing you. Hopefully, this is something that people know. But they always need a crisis. That's the thing with the government. Because when there's a crisis, 
your people's principles go out the window when you're scared and there's an emergency and there's a crisis. You want to find a quick solution for something. That's why there's a climate crisis, a, co- a climate emergency. That's why there's a COVID emergency. That's why this is a crisis well, emergency. All- we have gun violence emergency. Well, and the government gets more powers when there's an emergency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anytime they can declare an emergency, that gives them an extra sword, so to speak, that they can wield, you know, that affects your life. Which is why they will declare darn near everything to be an emergency mm-hmm. at, at the time so they can take some more power. All right, let's move on to the other thing. Tim Pool says, LOL, this is a video of climate activists who tried to block the roads leading to the Burning Man event getting immediately shut down by police. Someone reached out to us on Twitter and said that they would love to hear our principal take on this situation. What's- Here's the video. And... You, y'all in the live group, let us know what you think as well. Is there unnecessary use of force going on? Were people's constitutional rights violated? Do you get kind of happy when you see this video like I did? Just let us know. So in the video, you see a police car, a truck, running down the climate protester's signs. Driving back and forth. Get out now! Get out! On the ground! Gun drawn? Gun drawn. So there's one thing. Get on the ground! Okay, so what you can hear right there, the police officer asked about a gun. Let's say 50-50 on whether or not that's the case. Somebody actually okay. reported them having <laughs> <Yeah>. a gun. <laughs> or if he was just like, whoa, my partner drew his gun. I need to ask these people who has the gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe maybe a little unnecessary. Yeah. The shorts uh, do make it look a little weird. I didn't even notice the shorts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree I with, mentioned. I agree with the fed haters club. It's like a bad episode of Reno. Please. 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 about these guys sitting down i don't know they don't get arrested they're getting arrested huh interesting now we the video does start right when the truck starts running through the signs we don't know what happened beforehand don't know if there are any threats or whatever occurred beforehand no clue at all 
Charlie, what do you think happened there? I really like going through the signs. That was, what? I like running over the signs. That was fun, that was fun, right? Yeah. I also slightly enjoyed that lady that was on the side crying about how they were nonviolent mm. and they're just climate protesters, you know? Did she say we're just environmentalists? I don't know what she Something said. Something like that? I mean, I try to not take any joy in this lady's pain, but I'm, I'm failing. We're environmental protesters. He just tribal said you're on tribal land. Yeah, yeah, trespassing on tribal land. Okay. Oh, that, she sounds like a little kid. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, what Costco just said here, I I don't like the idea that you can block roadways and still call yourself a peaceful protester. No, and you can't. When you block a roadway, in my opinion, you are, in fact, initiating force at that time because people are trying to move freely down that road and you're going to stand in the middle right there and you're initiating force they'll call that as a foul in basketball even you just stand right in someone's lane like that you know if you're could under, be charged could be charged yeah if you're oh, under the basket yeah, not yeah. true i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know which one it is yeah so this is a foul mm. and uh in this specific scenario but you are initiating force and, and by the way i have to plug the book again not that she needs my help but ayn rand has a book called the return of the primitive I believe return to the primitive where they talk about the Berkeley protesters. And we played it on here before that these protesters think that they can block what you're doing. They think that they can take over your spaces and that that's just them protesting. They call that force. But then if you try to remove them, then they call that violence. (laughs) And so you can't remove them. That's you then initiating force on them and being violent with them Mm -hmm. while they were just, using force to stop you from doing something. I don't think that that's, I don't think that's right. I think that they are the ones initiating force at that point when they block other people who are going to be moving through that area and that they have, they've crossed the line at that time. The principle is your rights end where another's Mm. begin. Mm. You know, have you ever seen like those mosh pit dancers that do the windmill? (laughs) You know, you're free to do the windmill. Seen plenty of them. All you want. You know, spin around with your fist out. That's fine. But if you do a cl- too close to someone else, right? I mean, your right to do a windmill <laughs> ceases when your fist can meet someone's face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Because that face has a right to be there too. Although when, every, when everyone is there in that mosh pit, have you kind of consented to the, to the situation that someone might accidentally I think, violate your rights i think you know? i think people do <clears throat> consent to that yeah yeah especially when they're two-stepping with we windmillers can, going around we could dig into this specific situation deeper on a on another oh. <laughs> on another time <laughs> okay so that's our principal take ah, where the police you know running through the signs is that is that necessary the gun being drawn mm. okay the problem is I can't make a determination on that because that's where the video starts. And one of the police officers does his job in asking about who has a gun or where, the, you know, where the weapons are. And so that kind of covers them uh, when they get the gun out. So I think they could have easily arrested the people without guns drawn pointed at some of the people. But regardless, I think they need to be arrested. I will say it appeared that that officer had a 
kind of a personal vendetta that he was, you know, I have my chance finally. Yeah, finally. You know, I've been at home watching TV with these mm-hmm. dumb protesters, and I can finally take advantage. Prince, yeah. that's all speculation. That's speculation. I have no idea. You don't know that. I, I have no idea. I don't know that. Principled stance or not, the truth is, I got really happy and smiled when I saw the video. Okay. Of course you did. That's my, my actual answer right there. Coming up, folks, we're going to be talking to a couple journalists about my favorite topic of unions on Liberty at Night. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com. AMPS.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. What's up, y'all? This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. We're going to talk a little bit about unions with our good friend, Amanda Griffiths. She's a writer for Young Voices, been published all over the place, even on GoodMorningLiberty.us. But you got this piece out about uh, about Starbucks and their union. Yes. And we just did a whole episode about some stuff going on with unions yesterday. So I wanted to get... Your synopsis on the piece, and then I want to talk to you about the libertarian position on this matter. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm a good representative of the libertarian position on this matter. (laughs) If I'm wearing my Rush shirt, by the way, as every good libertarian knows, the band Rush wrote the trees, so you know that I just wrote an article about unions if I'm wearing my Rush shirt. (laughs) This article uh, has tons of coffee puns, Yeah, and it's called uh, Biden's NLRB Wants to Roast Starbucks Over Labor Allegations, But It's Workers Who Are Getting Burned. Mm. Uh, I literally inserted all the coffee puns during my last draft pass and i thought my editors were going to take it out take them out and they did not oh no they Oops. love that stuff no oh crap yeah <laughs> but but uh so this takes on the issue of union decertification which is a kind of in the weeds phrase essentially what it means is that when a union has been authorized to act as a group of workers bargaining representative right so been effectively in play for a for a year but a first contract hasn't been reached what workers can do is they can file something called a decertification position it's sort of like an exit break for workers it's it's a protective mechanism for them they don't like the way that things are going. What they can do is say, we actually don't want this union here anymore. We want another mode of bargaining. Maybe we want to represent ourselves. Maybe we just want to find another union, anything like that. They'll file a decertification 
petition. In theory, what that does is that then kickstarts the decertification election process. So it's a democratic process. The workers vote on whether they want to keep the union or not. But there's been a series of changes in labor policy that allows the National Labor Relations Board to just cut any decertification petition off of the pass. Unions can file what are called blocking charges if they don't like the fact that a group of workers has filed a decertification petition and they can alert the NLRB. And if the NLRB says, or if the NLRB basically decides at its discretion, okay, we are going to accept these blocking charges, decertification process is over. And they need to have cause, but there's no oversight as to whether this cause is legit. So the charitable read in Starbucks case is that Starbucks has, here's another pen that I used in the article, yes, fallen into hot water with regard to some unfair labor allegations. This is true as a national corporation, but that is sort of getting it backwards because again, as I say in the article, if Starbucks is in the wrong, for denying workers the freedom to, per- to, to pursue their preferred mode of organization, bureaucrats and big labor, these mega unions that don't represent the interests of these specific workers, why are bureaucrats and big labor in the right for doing the same thing? of which they are accusing Starbucks. This is so, one of the things that bothers me about unions is that there seems to be a automatic baseline assumption that whatever they do, their motives are pure and for the worker and they wouldn't be greedy and they wouldn't be corrupt. Uh, but anything that the corporation does is always out of greed and corruption. And I think that that's a pretty unfair uh, baseline to set for them because these are just human beings also. And, and for the workers to want to leave the union or decertify and for the NLRB to come in and say that they, they can't do it, it makes me think they're probably just working on behalf of their friends that run Workers United. Is that the case? I mean, I don't know personally what's going on at Workers United. I don't know personally what's going on at Starbucks. But I will say in my own experience with unions, and I've had some close experience with unions. It is really difficult for a giant conglomerate union. Unions have effectively become what they accused, and in many cases, rightly initially, those big corporations of the past of being those big exploitative corporations, mega conglomerates of being when unions first took shape in the U.S., they need to adopt those same modes and they also need to convince the public that that's what the corporate entity still looks like. It's not. Fortunately, workers are becoming much more independent and much more powerful in many, many industries. Things are happening that wouldn't have been conceivable back when unions first took shape in the U.S., your people get hired because 
of their individual skills, personalities, and people are increasingly able to be self-employed. People are able to be their own boss. This is something that unions should embrace. But because unions have a very stagnant, entrenched business model, really, they rely on convincing the public and convincing workers that workers are victims, that people's nine to five is a nine to five and can't be something that gives them fulfillment and meaning. The only way they can find fulfillment and meaning in that nine to five is in organized labor, uh, is, is in, is, is in retaliating against their employer. And so they have to fight back against self-employment. They have to fight back against all of these ways that workers can be independent and can be valued for who they are as people and be valued for their values. For me, it is one of the hugest problems that contributes to some of the most toxic incentive, you know, misalignments in, in our policy today. It's it's interesting because on one hand, they could say, well, you're not going to get that fulfillment from a nine to five working for the man. They're taking advantage of you. But then on the other, they also go after gig workers or freelance workers or people who want to be self-employed. And uh, it, it seems like their answer, coincidentally, is that the only way you're going to find this is if you're part of this collective union and they're collectively bargaining, which is a convenient position for them to have. Well, and if you look at many of the, in particular, California policies or or attempted policies, these are policies that kind of try to structure. And in New York, it's the same way. And I think that the PRO Act kind of looks looks a little bit like this too. It tries to make self-employment and independent contracting increasingly into a nine to five type gig. And this is for people who want, again, this was a pun I wrote in an Uber <laughs> article, want an exit ramp, want an exit ramp from corporate life, want an exit ramp maybe from union politics. And, you know, if workers want to unionize, Let's say that the Starbucks workers do want unions. They just don't want to be represented by Workers United. Maybe they want to have a smaller union. Maybe they want to have a more compact, more individualized union. They should be able to do that. And right now, because of these weird policy changes, these prefer and these give preference to and advantages to big unions, big labor, just like policies of the past um, would give would give preference to big corporations. I do have to take in a, take a second just to point out uh, a pun that I think honestly you're, it was missed that you need to add oh back in and Magoo asked Magoo pun? asked if the problem was grande, venti or large. What size problem would you say this is? <laughs> Uh, this is a, a double shot extra extra whip foam. <laughs> I, I don't. I got foam in there. Yeah, I, I did. Magoo, yeah. Magoo, I did. I did get a retweet where someone said this is a venti problem. So there according to someone on Twitter, it's a venti problem. All right, there were uh, there were two different directions I was considering going. One thing I've talked about for a while is that people need to find a way to find meaning and purpose in the jobs that they have. And uh, something we've talked about for a while that whatever job that you name in a free market society, 
if, as long as you're not working for the government on stolen money, you are providing value to someone that they think is more valuable than the money that they have. And whatever that thing is, you should find meaning and fulfillment in that because mm-hmm. you provided a service or a product to someone. Whether you're working at McDonald's or Starbucks, whatever the job is, that person needed food or they needed expensive coffee and you should be able to find some type of meaning in doing that job. I don't know. Do you think that's something that's missing right now for people? People convince themselves that it's missing for them. And I think in some industries it is, in some jobs it is. For me, I actually really always loved food service and I miss working in food service. I have loved it every single time, including the grind, including <laughs> um, including the parts that you know, uh, food service workers commiserate about. I've always loved it. And there is dignity in all work. Unfortunately, yes, there are always employers who do not treat their workers fairly in any number of ways. These are individual problems. The, uh, these are, for the, for in large part, these are problems that are specific to a corporation or they're problems specific to a particular relationship between a specific employer and a specific employee. And these need to be addressed on a very individual level for the most part. Uh, Again, I'm not sure if I'm a great representative of the uber libertarian position because I do see a place for organized labor, but my sense of what that would look like is incredibly holistic and it's incredibly individualized. I don't think it should be forced on people. And I think that a lot of problems that in the past could only be resolved through labor organization are in fact better resolved through individual or small group actions. Yeah. My, my biggest, I basically have that same position. I think people should be able to join unions and I think that's fine. I don't think they should be forced to join the unions. And then my next step is that if you want to fire people, And that means that you fire all the unionized people. I think that you should also be able to do that. If you have employees that will come in and replace them, why would you not be able to do that? If, if enough people have joined that union and you only have workers in the union pool to pull from, then, then that's something you have to deal with in that market that those workers have voluntarily agreed to join and, and do that. But none of it should be forced. I I think honestly, we're getting to the point where there are fewer and fewer risks with that take, again, because of the rise of the gig economy, because of the increased possibilities of independent work. Um, It's always a cost-benefit analysis. And I certainly think employers should have more freedom than they do today to decide, you know, what, what am I cool with in terms of my workers organizing? What am I not? When I look at the worker side, And that's really where I try to focus. I think workers should have much more freedom in terms of what they decide with respect to their unions. Right to work is a great concept. A lot of times it's conceptual only. These policies are being weaponized explicitly by unions against employees' right to work. So on paper, employees can have the right to work, the right to be part of a union, the right to leave a union, But if you're able to be backed into a corner, once a union takes shape at your corporation, you don't really have the right to work in that 
traditional sense. So we typically use the phrase, you're part of the union, you're tied into it. I, uh, I wanted to bring up two things that we talked about yesterday um, because we just did our union episode yesterday. I wanted to get your thoughts on them real quick. One of them had to do with a yellow trucking company who is has filed for bankruptcy. They've been around for 100 years now. They pointed to the union being one of the main reasons that they ended up having to file for bankruptcy. They did take a $700 million loan during the COVID pandemic to keep their business going, but that involved them trying to restructure their company. And they weren't able to restructure their company because that involved firing people and decreasing hours. Essentially, the union blocked them from doing their restructuring. The other thing was the United Auto Workers right now are currently asking for what equates to a 46% pay raise uh, for the UAW workers for the big three auto companies. Yes. And they are citing the CEO's 40% pay raise as reason that the workers should also get the same raise. Of course, you know that drives me nuts because they're using how many ceos do they have three and how many individual employees do they have uh there are well just for gm they have one hundred and sixty-seven thousand employees and then you go to ford and you have chrysler also you're talking three hundred thousand employees yes i know where you're going this increase would cost those companies upwards of two to three billion dollars and the increase for the ceos was somewhere around 30 million dollars the math washes out but now we're at this point where we're using the same uh bernie sanders ceo pay raise argument and it's made it all the way up to the president of the UAW union, this is this is driving me nuts. UAW comprises a really, really counterintuitive and, and, and kind of random set of, of workers. If I'm not mistaken, UAW was helping. Uh, I believe UAW was was helping to lead negotiations during the uh, University of California grad students mm. strike. I think you're right on that. that Pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not exactly the same type of area, but okay. Yeah, this this doesn't really make sense. And in particular, I think UAW knows that this is not sensical. This is not logical. These are these are tactics designed to get public attention. And unfortunately, they can give false hope to employees. They can be deceptive toward employees. And for employees that say, I actually, I don't want to strike, it can really, really put them in a difficult bind. And it puts a lot of people in an untenable position all because of publicity stunts, publicity stunts bargaining demands and it's really unfair it is one of the most deceptive things well, one <laughs> unfortunately the, one yeah. of the it, it ties back to something you said when we first started uh, an issue i see with this is that it leaves the workers in a constant state of never feeling satisfied even if they get a 20% pay raise out of this negotiation. Well, they wanted what equated to a 46% pay raise. They're trying to go to a 32 hour work week instead of a 40 hour work week. And even if there are negotiations and there's concessions on this, the workers have been thinking that they were going to get uh, this initial bargaining chip that they used. 
And now even if they get what it ends up being a pretty sweet deal, they're never happy. And it was the same story. It's just with, a with constant the state of wanting more story. all the time. It was the same story. Yeah. And it, that's, that's what, that's, that's what perpetuates their business model. They will, the, you know, you, and not to pick on, well, maybe a little bit to pick on, on UAW, but this is a common union tech, this common big labor tactic. I will say I'll distinguish promise the moon and make sure that it's a promise that can't quite be delivered on so that then workers will say, oh, we almost got it. We almost got it. And these, these big corporations, these, these black leggers, whatever, made it so that we only got half of what we were entitled to. And we need to continue. We need to continue with this union because it's our only hope. It's our only way out. It's like an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. I can't stress enough how much it is like the, the big corporations, especially of the past, the old, the old entrenched, the old ossified corporate model that unfortunately is really going out of style and people are rejecting it. Unions can't abide by that. They're practicing those same tactics. They need to convince you that so are businesses. Mm -hmm. And it also, see, I see unions as uh, small governments or big governments in some cases, because uh, another way that this works out for them is they make these big promises. They only get half of it. And then how do we make sure we get all of it next time? You should probably give the union more power. You might want to give them more dues. They probably needed a little bit more lobbying money. They probably need a little bit, a little bit more bargaining power. And next time they'll be able to get everything that you're entitled to. And, and they never just, they never quite get it except for they continue to get more and more power. And so well, yeah, like, a government, you see this like a government, it works out for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see this bureaucratic capture, right? You see, uh, it's interesting to, Corporations used to be the, uh, the, 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 the the bad actors in bureaucratic capture. And to an extent, they, they still are. But in this particular case, uh, you've got unions that, are, that have captured the NLRB and that are essentially making it so that policies serve them, not the individual worker. And that is the problem. This is not about wanting to make sure that workers stay put down or workers stay in their place. This is wanting to make sure that workers can be lifted up. And it's now unions that are doing what the big bosses of the past used to do. All right. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap up. I know it's kind of a short episode, but to be fair, it was your fault. Uh, It was my fire alarm's fault. And there's audio (laughs) evidence of that. There is. We played it for the live group, the Fed Haters Club at uh, joingml.com, just so I can get that uh, little advertisement in there for everyone. Uh, But why don't you tell everyone where they can find more of your stuff, where they can follow what you any random thoughts that you have where they can go to see those. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ajax the Griff, and you can also uh, find my work uh, at Young Voices, um, where I've got a page there, and uh, you can you can follow all of my latest hits and updates there. All right, Amanda, it's been fun. Next time we'll do a full length episode. We just make sure that you won't have any fire drills uh, just beforehand. 
And we still need you to come back and talk about this presidential race that we have coming up because uh love to man it's 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 heating up and uh, well honestly it's heated up to the point where i've stopped paying attention to it because it's too annoying to pay attention to anything but uh, i'd love to talk i'll just i'll give you i'll give you a little teaser i'll give you a little teaser Mm -hmm. i have always been a closet chris christie fan in some respects not that i agree with every single one of his policies but i've always had a secret soft spot for chris Christie. we'll have to dig into that just a little bit more there you go everyone's got just a little teaser we'll come back and figure out what the heck it is about chris christie that makes you like it What's up? This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Our friend David McGarry is hanging out with us, and we're going to talk about unions. David, how are you doing? Howdy, folks. I'm very glad to be here, and I'm doing very well. I do want to get into a couple of the pieces that you've got out right now. And I told you I was interested in the one about Adam Smith and workers' freedoms. I'm always interested in who's going to protect the worker and how they are going to have their power versus the evil big corporations. You got a great piece in the American Institute for Economic Research. Why don't you tell people what the gist of that is? Yeah. So I was going back in and reading through Wealth of Nations and Adam Smith has a incredibly eloquent denunciation of the sorts of barriers that government partnerships with big labor put on workers' freedoms. And as he points out, also on would-be employers' freedoms, because whenever anyone is, whenever there's a contract, obviously there's two parties. And Smith really lays out how back in ye old guild uh, times, when you had all of these guilds in Western Europe, they managed to do things. They, it was basically occupational licensing at its worst. So they would limit who could participate in various occupations. They would limit the number of apprentices that the guilds or that masters could take on to artificially limit the supply of workers in their field. So, for example, he has a great line where he basically says that the silk weavers of London took scarcely a year to institute all of these restrictions after they were incorporated. Guilds also, I mean, honestly, they're, they were far worse than unions today, considering the fact that they would have all sorts of trade quotas, they would have output quotas, they would uh, squash new technologies, because if you came up with a way to more efficiently do whatever task you're trying to do, that could lower prices. And God knows that we wouldn't want to lower prices and lower the guild's profits. And Smith really lays out the moral foundation for all of this, or I should say against all of this, that workers ought to be able to go and make the most of their own personal uh, talents and their own opportunities, and that this freedom really functions to the good of all of society. Smith has a really important conception of the foundation of prosperity being a division of labor, because when I'm doing one thing, I can put all of my efforts towards that one thing. And when you're doing another, you can do the same. And then we're able to be, uh, we're able to basically supply one another's needs through systems of specialization and then through trade. Um, and this is a really important way of looking at capitalism, looking at markets, uh, being that each participant is doing a fundamental moral good by by chasing profits, because what that really means is that each participant is providing very necessary goods and services to the people in their communities and to the world at large. Yeah, that's really something that people have a hard time 
uh, with these days is the notion that profit is actually a good thing. Uh, when we hear people making a lot of profits these days for a lot of people on, especially on the left, but even some on the right, that can be equated with theft. But profit does mean that you provided that value in society. And if you think that someone has a monopoly and that's why they're profiting, well, maybe you want to have more competition. And there's something that you mentioned there earlier. It's, you know, one thing I think unions really get wrong is that they do hurt competition by making it harder for businesses to come into the market. And one of the greatest things for a worker is to have other options that would naturally make those businesses uh, want to treat the workers better. Right. But they, they seem to kind of take their chips down and just want to control that one location and never think about the one that could offer them a, a, a better life or a better salary. Right. You make a wonderful point. Uh, unions are nothing if not inflexible. Flexibility is a really great thing in um, in any market because it allows people to uh, essentially d- purchase a good or or negotiate incrementally in a way that benefits them. And whenever you have any organization, whether it's a union, whether it's a government, or frankly, whether it's a big, bloated, over oversized corporation that comes in and tries to impose one size fits all rules, you get problems. You get inefficiencies. Now, the good news is that for private sector unions not not counting their special little handouts from government but <laughs> theoretically private sector unions and corporations can then be undermined by competition but obviously there the government has a monopoly on force and the government isn't going anywhere so whenever the government gets involved the huge difference is that there's no opportunity for an incumbent to come in and challenge that market share you mentioned in the piece you mentioned california's ab5 people on the show that listen probably sick of me mentioning the pro act but it is what i think the the scariest and worst piece of legislation that i've seen in a long time is that really to help the workers or they're just special interests that are involved in this that don't like the fact that people can be independent contractors and skip out on those unions and make their own way like what's the reasoning behind ideas like this well it's to help workers but just like the guild system that Smith wrote about. It's about a very specific small group of workers that are either in the guild or today in the union. Things like the PRO Act and, go, and going back to California's AB5 law, the, the primary beneficiary of those are the, or is the unionized labor, which cannot be competed with under the provision of these proposals or these laws, right? Because if you say, okay, X, Y, or Z worker is no longer allowed to work as an independent contractor, that forecloses an avenue of competition that could have undermined unions' power. Functionally, this is to protect the minority of workers, but then, of course, you go back to the fact that too many politicians have too many financial interests all tied up with unions, which is really something we don't talk about when we complain about campaign financing. Mm. Uh, we could make the argument that at one point in time, unions were necessary, I guess. A lot of people make that argument. Maybe you will as well. Are they necessary now? Well, I don't think the the public policy question is about whether or not they're necessary. I am for the abolishment of all public sector unions. However, in the private sector, part of being a free market kind of person is that you you believe that folks are allowed to coordinate as they so choose. However, the problem comes when government starts entrenching the power of unions and tipping the scale towards big labor. Because at that point, you no longer have workers who are free to operate outside of the union system, or maybe workers are less free to operate outside of the union system, and to ditch unions when they start to to, uh, harm the market, harm workers, harm companies. And so, like I said, the, the problem really comes back to when the government is getting involved. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you should be able to start a union with your friends if you want to. I just want the business to be allowed to fire you if they want to. And that's the way that the market uh, should work, in, in my opinion. Now, have you seen some of the recent negotiations that have taken place? Uh, just one more thing on unions uh, with, say, uh, UPS and then the new ones uh, with UAW right now where they're asking for these big pay raises. Are you worried like I am about the inflation that can ripple through the economy when you have all of these things asking for these massive pay raises? It's great for them at first. And then I worry about what happens when the market catches up afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I I think at the end of the day, I'm more worried about the I'm more worried about the workforce ramifications and the inflationary ramifications of these things. But along the lines of what you were saying, actually, Amanda had a wonderful piece that came out recently that's showing how how the federal government is really intervening to to stop union uh, to, or to stop unionized workers from leaving their unions. Again, this is just another example of how it's not actually a fair playing field in too many ways, in too many instances these days. Yeah, completely agree. I want to shift over now to let's shift over the protecting children online. I know you've already talked about that today, but I did want to ask you your thoughts on the proposal for the Digital Consumer Protection Commission or the DCPC. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, along with Lindsey Graham, uh, pushing for a new agency to protect us from these unelected big Techocrats uh, out there by installing a new agency of unelected people to to control them. What are your thoughts on this? And then what did you talk about earlier today when it comes to protecting children online? Right. So the overall the overall issue with a lot of these bills to I don't know sanitize the internet for lack of a better phrase is that they treat the internet as if it's not part of real life and as if you can put in place all sorts of unconstitutional violations or maybe. Um, uh, all sorts of regulations that w- that will stifle creativity and innovation, uh, economic prosperity. Again, as if the internet is works by different rules than than real life does. Um, but no, I mean economics economic still still applies, and the Constitution still applies online. In regards to the to the commission, first of all, Republicans should be very wary whenever they find themselves agreeing with Elizabeth Warren. I would suggest that the the argument for this commission that is that we need to regulate the internet as we regulated is, is is the fcc regulated or as authorities regulated the nuclear industry i would argue that that rationale is sort of self-defeating considering the fact that in especially until the 90s the fcc created all sorts of government supported monopolies and i think we all know that the regulatory burdens that we put on the nuclear industry has really done great harm to America's energy sector and to all these things like innovation and growth and, and economic dynamism, et cetera. So I, I really don't think that there's any meaningful argument for these proposals, except for a short-term fear-mongering mindset, which while I think it does identify some limited concerns with the internet, has the solutions all wrong. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we're faced with a crossroads in life and we don't really know which path to take. Maybe you're thinking about a career change or feeling like your relationship needs a little love. Whatever it is, therapy can help you map out your future and trust yourself to find the way forward. I've done therapy in the past and honestly, it helped me quite a lot. Changed my life, made me who I am today. And our co-host, Charlie, he's still using BetterHelp to this day. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist 
and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash G-M-L. Does the government have any business trying to protect children's activity online? Uh, Say the the predators on there, uh, there's the targeted advertising that they're worried about. Could be a really dangerous place, I guess, for kids. Is that their business or is this more of a parenting issue? The answer is a little bit of both. Um, And we've actually seen some proposals from folks like Ron Wyden to basically up enforcement of or or, uh, of actual federal laws against criminal conduct against children online. But for a lot of the more popular conversations that we're having that are really capturing the hearts and minds of uh, status, both on the left and the right, um, the solution to your child finding things on on social media is for you to parent your child better. Um, there, there's a lot of talk of parental rights and less talk of parental responsibilities. Um, there are also increasing numbers of tools, of content tools that parents can use. And these tools, by the way, are being provided by the very big tech companies that we all love to hate on. Um, but but it's, it's parents' responsibility to involve themselves and to help their children navigate these spaces in a safe way. Um, and as I said, there are market-provided tools that help parents limit screen time, that help parents limit the content, content their children will find. And it is a very dangerous place we get into when we try to force the government into, this, um, into these issues that are best solved by the private sector and by the family. So is it... <laughs> Is it that the government wants to take control of these industries or or and do this regulation, or is it that parents are actually just you know kind of being lazy with their responsibilities, and it's these great people in the government want to come in and and help them? Like, where does the problem start first here? Yeah, so parents certainly must do more. Um, we as a society obviously are still very much adjusting to. Um, to uh, to to how to cope with the digital world because this technology has I mean let's be honest it's been it's been in some ways greatly destabilizing destabilizing um, so yes parents need to catch up and start doing more and I really hope that more and more parents will do so however at the same time when we look at um, many folks and unfortunately in both parties there is a definite tendency to want to come in and force the government's um, conception of good parenting onto parents as. Uh, Antonin Scalia wrote in a in a really great Supreme Court opinion uh, years back, which was about a California attempt to uh, bar minors from accessing violent video games. And what Scalia said is that for all of the rhetoric to the contrary, what it comes down to is that these sorts of laws are trying to force the government's conception of what should be in the guise of of saying that they're empowering parents. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that. um I think that it's very important to remember that, unfortunately, for better or for worse, parents are making a choice right now, or many parents right now are making a choice not to parent their children. Again, that is a, that is a, you can say it's out of laziness, you can say it's out of ignorance, whatever, but that is still a parenting choice to allow their children to access all sorts of uh, websites, applications, content, you name it. But that affirmative choice, again, or even even if it's a passive choice, it must be changed by the parents. It is their job to raise their children in the online space the same way it is, that it is their job to raise their children in the so, so-called real world. Um, and I think it's a really dangerous place for um, people who 
have libertarian tendencies, I think it's I think it's very dangerous for for libertarians and libertarian adjacent types to say suddenly that the government can get this involved in micromanaging family life um, after it has spent so long eloquently and correcting co- correctly making the arguments of why that is a bad idea. Have you been getting ads for this thing called Project Liberty Action Network? Have you seen anything about that? at all i haven't tell me about it okay i was gonna see if i could share my my screen to you i, I got this ad and i didn't really know what it was uh it, had, it it has to do with social media it has to do with big tech and uh let me let me just share this and so maybe this would be cool to uh to talk about let me pick this yep there we go we'll share that and now i can add that screen okay that's cool all right project liberty action network this shows up in my um in my feed on on X. Let me see if there's sound too. We the web living our lives online while social media profits with no regard for us. Let's overthrow social media tyrants. There is a solution. Join us. Let's lead the way. Okay, so we so we got that. We they start with the I saw the we and of course it's written, you know, like we the people and it's uh it's we the web. I go to their website, Project Liberty. This has got to be good. I don't know what we're going to do here. Maybe it has to do with big tech censorship. They're censoring people's opinions on online, right? They're, they know it all has to do. Project Liberty Action Network is a movement to build a better web that serves our communities. The Kids Online Safety Act. Contact your senators and ask them to pass the Kids Online Safety Act. Medical experts, parents, and youth themselves agree. Social media is fueling a mental crisis. And then um, this is an ad for the Kids Online Safety Act, the entire thing. So uh, that's that's what's going on. Oh, I didn't realize it wasn't sharing the other pages I was going to. I thought it was going to share the entire screen. My bad. Um, that would have been that would have been better if it was actually sharing to you the whole thing I was looking at. Uh, but anyway, wh- I, I thought maybe that would be an ad you were getting since you're following this stuff and and writing about it all the time. Yeah, there, I. <laughs> I like to avoid being too glib about people's concerns about the internet because I think a lot of them have value and, or at least they come from a valid place. However, whenever I see things like this, I have a hard time uh, keeping my eyes from rolling fully back in my head. (laughs) Um, First off, if, if, uh, uh, again, just to apply our basic our basic economic uh, knowledge, <laughs> if social media companies were providing no one any value, then for what reason have all of these platforms obtained so many consumers' dollars and, and all this ad revenue? Um, so first, so that's my first question. And second off, is for their support for the Kids Online Safety Act, they say that they want to build a better internet. And as we know, again, from offline economics, what is a better way to entrench monopolies and to protect incumbents besides getting the government into the business of uh, of adding layers upon layers of burdensome regulation that prevent innovation and prevent startups from entering the market? So I think that they, not only is there all sorts of, of, of imprecise and, and uh, uh, in just fear-mongering language here that is, that is disingenuous and distorts the the full picture of what online life is like but it also their message is completely self-defeating and i've 
I have I have such little patience for um for for this kind of rhetoric, especially because I actually think that we do need more competition online. Um, I don't think the government should be the one in charge of of creating it, but I think unquestionably we want a dynamic, innovative market where. Um, you are seeing new companies, new platforms, new products that are coming in in response to demand and coming in to fix and improve upon the models that have come before and to um, provide better products to consumers. Yeah, uh, I I completely agree. And, that you know, I'm, I've got something up on the screen again where it talks about parents worrying about their children and the use of technology. Why Why does that take the Kids Online Safety Act? to to fix something when you're worried about your kids use of technology you're the parent limit their use of technology that it's on you to do it they're worried about their they're they're going to do it for their kid but their friends parents uh, their their kids friends parents aren't going to do it for them and then they're going to look bad so they want everyone to have the same limitations on their technology i guess well i think that's actually a really important point is that because it's impossible to know a person's age before verifying that age, um, uh, pr- uh, proposals like this don't only affect the internet for kids. Um, you can't, I mean, really effectively, you can't just make kids pinky promise that, for example, for now, uh, as of today, you know, they're over 13. We've all seen that, right? Just, just having kids pinky promise and click the okay button doesn't actually, doesn't actually do the trick. So you have to, um, number one, verify you, all users' age online, which has all sorts of privacy and uh, and uh, data dissemination concerns. And then also for the ways uh, that bills like uh, like the the Kids Online Safety Act, bills like California's Age Appropriate Design Code, uh, for the way that they purport to 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 mold a child safe internet, they're really creating a child safe sanitized internet for for all. And that mm-hmm. is a huge problem that more people don't uh, don't actually deal with i've never heard anyone mention that before that's a really great point uh, uh, i like that making a child safe internet for all which sounds terrible uh, honestly i don't know maybe that's what we deserve maybe that's the internet that uh, our society <laughs> deserves these days i don't know how we've done with this one you know i agree that that social media i i guess it's been a net positive i guess but man there's a lot of bad stuff there's a lot of negativity that we're all carrying all the time that uh, we really shouldn't. And we talk about how, well, it's great. You can keep up with your family and all that. And like, okay, that's like 0.1% of my time on social media. Probably the rest of it is throwing more hate into the world, <laughs> I guess. So uh, I don't know. I want to ask you, I guess, as a last question, has it been a net positive for us? I think it has. Um, and I think that a lot of the very real negatives that it, that it has introduced um, I think we're in the process of working through those things. Social media is a very new technology. If we take a responsible uh, histor- historical view, um, I mean, how long has it been since we've really had social media? I mean, 10, 15, 20 years. This is a, this is a transformational um, world shifting technology that we're dealing with. And as a society, we have to figure out how to compensate for that the same way that there was, there was incredible destabilization, destabilization um, introduced by the industrial revolution. Um, it produced all sorts of chaos. It, it largely produced uh, or at least uh, fed the fires of socialism and, and Marxism, which we are still dealing with today. 
Um, and I don't think that that is an argument, though, that we should go back and deindustrialize the world, nor do I think we should try to go back and end the Internet. And honestly, a lot of these these concerns, again, while I think they are reacting to real harms, a lot of the the extreme the extreme the ex- I think that the sh- extreme way with which um, they're expressed, for example, in that ad is really reminiscent of concerns that people had about basic democratic governance. And I certainly don't think that we should go back and start advocating monarchy. <laughs> um, so real problems. Yes. Do parents need to take more responsibility? Yes. Are there things that government can do at the margins to, to properly um, uh, uh, chase after law or uh, uh, lawbreakers and other sorts of wrongdoers online? Yes. However, let's take a forward looking view towards this that respects liberty and free markets and all of the other principles that we as libertarian and libertarian and adjacent folks say we love and let's go from there. All right, David, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. Why don't you let everyone know where they can go to find more of your work? Yeah, go on Twitter, find me at David B. McGarry and you can find all of my uh, all of my writing and also some other random things that i think of in, including some some pretty some pretty nasty commentary about uh major league baseball's umpiring crew right now <laughs> all right folks when we come back we're going to go through some dumb tweets and more on liberty at night What's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live network. And this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible. And its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering the Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and widely available on the exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use, Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. The big thanks to Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org. Org. Let's get into some dumb tweets from the week. Rain Wilson, you may know him as Dwight Schrute from The Office, because that's about the only thing that you would know him from. So he's a upset, angry, bitter, aging person. And I'm not just making that up. I read a bunch of articles about how unhappy he was with The Office and he wasn't getting paid enough and he wasn't getting enough movie deals and stuff like that. He was very, very unhappy about how that all played out. And he was jealous every time Steve Carell and John Krasinski were getting movie deals and all that stuff. Anyway, it's Dwight from The Office. Okay. Rain Wilson. If I were writing a song about rich men north of Richmond, I wouldn't talk about obese people on welfare. I'd sing about CEOs who make 400 times their average worker's salary and corporations that pay zero taxes and offshore tax shelters for billionaires. That's so unfortunate. You hate to see people 
go down this road when they're one of your favorite TV characters. I really don't want to know the politics of anyone who's involved in entertainment because it really destroys entertainment for me because then that's all I think about. I've known that he was like this for a little bit, but I don't like seeing it right now. Okay, so if you're going to write a song about rich men north of Richmond, he doesn't want you to talk about the obese people on welfare. Now, first off, the rich men north of Richmond are not the obese people on welfare. He's just saying that they're taking some of your money and giving it to obese people on welfare. Singing about CEOs who make 400 times their average worker's salary. Let's not even go into the CEO pay thing right now. You can find hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of content from us talking about that. I will, however, mention something about Rain Wilson. He was making up front about $2.4 million a season for the office. He's worth about $14 million right now, which is which is fine. So I get it. There's a lot of people who have more money than he does. But I wonder what the key grip or grip number three uh, was making on the office. What is the guy who was taping down some of the cables to the floor make on the office? I want to know about that. Yes, what about his makeup artist? They probably make okay. You're doing makeup artists, but... You go down to whatever the lowest level thing is. What about the person who's putting together the food cart? I know that they're probably all union because it's all Hollywood stuff. And so they're all union. They probably got decent hourly wages or whatever. But I wonder if it compared to his $100,000 per episode that he was getting paid. What about all of the royalties that he continues to receive every time it plays on TV? It's not just what he got paid up front. All the actors continue to receive royalties for their time on TV. The the royalties are going to be pretty good. I'm just I'm just going to tell you. I've I've been in one commercial where I spoke one line in a commercial, and the the royalties were fine. Okay, they were they were fine for a couple of years from that. If you're on a full blown TV show that's got reruns playing all the time, you're doing just fine. I could post it sometime. Could do that. It was a Supercuts commercial. All right, my band was in it. Yeah, that's the that's the only reason. They used to do a thing called Rock the Cut. So we were one of the bands that did a commercial for like a year and a half or something like that. It was fun. That's what I'm saying. And the you get actors royalties. You get lead actors royalties for even just a commercial. And it's good. All right. He's doing just fine. And I doubt the people who were serving him tea or whatever it was while they were filming, are doing as well as he did while they were recording episodes. So it's always great to look at other people and point to how great they're doing compared to their workers, but it's totally fine for you to do it, right? Doesn't matter. I'm sure he's just trying to find each one of those people from the set and give them that money. Hypocrites, man. I'm telling you, hypocrites. All right. Elizabeth Warren posts, Big tech has too much power over our lives, our economy, and our democracy. My bipartisan bill would create an agency dedicated to promoting competition, guarding Americans' privacy, and preventing harm online. So, she has a bill. This is an article in the Boston Globe. This is a bipartisan bill to create a new agency to take on big tech. And if I ever think about things the U.S. government could do, Promoting competition, that's one. Protecting Americans' privacy, uh, that's two. And then preventing harm, 
Those are all things that I would definitely go to the U.S. government for. Let's look at the actual article here. In his State of the Union address last year, this year, President Biden urged Congress to pass bipartisan legislation to stop big tech from collecting personal data on kids and teenagers online, ban targeted advertising to children, and impose stricter limits on personal data these companies collect on all of us. Two senators, Elizabeth Warren and Lindsey Graham, took him seriously. Warren and Graham last week released a 158-page bill that would create a new government agency to oversee technology firms and would impose regulations in the area of transparency, competition, privacy, and national security. While Congress should, this is from a the editorial board at the Boston Globe, by the way, so that's who's right. While Congress should, along with experts, carefully vet each of the many proposals in the bill, the broad idea of creating a new agency to oversee big tech companies makes sense. That agency could then take the lead in crafting detailed regulations needed to address complex issues like privacy. And who are the experts, by the way? Who's an expert in big technology? Oh, yeah, it's it's going to be people who work for big tech. That's who's going to work at the agency. This is just going to be another revolving door agency, by the way, just like the FDA and several others. Warren and Graham wrote in the New York Times op-ed that digital platforms have created tools that can be used for harmful activities. Here's a quote from Warren and Graham. Nobody elected big tech executives to govern anything, let alone the entire digital world that they created. If democracy means anything, it means that leaders on both sides of the aisle must take responsibility for protecting the freedom of the American people from the ever-changing whims of these powerful companies and their unaccountable CEOs. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to create another unaccountable, unelected federal bureaucracy, another agency who is accountable to no one, who you do not elect, who will have power over these people, and who will help us maintain control over you. That is what democracy is, my fellow Americans. A couple more quotes here, a couple more important things. Companies like Google, Meta, and Amazon, these companies would need to be licensed, and licenses could be revoked for violating the law. You have to get your big tech operating company license. I don't know how many hours of training you have to go through to get that license. It would be authorized to prohibit a variety of anti-competitive practices like Google using its search engine, to draw customers to Google hotels or Amazon requiring sellers to use Amazon's logistics service if they want good website placement. These are two dumb things that we've already talked about before. Google should be able to send you to Google's own results on Google's own website. It's not a public service. This is not a library. They sh- they can send you wherever they want to. If you don't like it, then go use another platform. Use DuckDuckGo. I haven't used Google in years. I'm sure DuckDuckGo probably does the same thing, only smaller. Or Amazon requiring sellers to use Amazon's logistics service if they want good website placement. You know why they do that? Because the reason people go to Amazon, or used to be back in the day, the reason you would go there, the reason they got so big, was because you could get stuff so fast on the website. And so that is what Amazon was known for. And so Amazon would require you to use all of their logistics services. They would require you to list your lowest price. You couldn't have a lower price anywhere else. That's fine if you don't want to. You just don't use Amazon. That way, Amazon could maintain what Amazon was known for. 
but they are going to try and stop people from doing that too, which is just all going to leave people paying higher prices for everything. George Takai, or better known as Sulu from Star Trek, the James T. Kirk one, William Shatner, the only Star Trek that matters. Okay. He says, pro tip, whenever you see someone saying we could be spending that money on X, not the website, we could be spending that money on X instead of sending it to Ukraine, it probably originated from and was amplified by the Russians. Be smarter out there. I know for some of you, it's hard. You see, once again, like I, I, I need to not know entertainers politics. Now, George, George Takai has been, been very political for a long time. So known this, known this for a while, but this, he is in my favorite line of Star Trek movies. And I just have to put that aside. That's totally fine. But just, this is how dumb it is. If you see someone saying that instead of spending this money on Ukraine, we could spend it on this. Boom. That was the Russians that did it. There is no other way that you as a human being could think that anything is more important than spending money on Ukraine. As the U.S. government taking your money and spending it on things or borrowing it in your children's name or inflating it away, causing higher prices everywhere. There is no way that you could think that money could be spent on anything other than Ukraine without you being a Russian plant or that message being amplified by Russians. That's it. I know that's hard for some of you to understand. You're just not as smart as this actor to play the smart person on TV. This is one of my favorites. Reparations. But more specifically, here is the Debt Collective replying. The Debt Collective is this group on Twitter that just talks about how you shouldn't have to pay debt, essentially. All the debt is bad. We should cancel all of it. You shouldn't need to pay anything. And so Tim, oh Tim, asked a question. You constantly post about forgiving debt. What are some things you feel people should have to pay their debts on? Okay. Let's entertain that question. What You always think people should have their stuff canceled. What's something you think people should have to pay for? And they respond with reparations. They mess up. I'm sure this is just an oversight on their part. The debt collective. What should people have to pay their debt on? I know this is tough, but you should pick something that is a debt that people chose to go into. You don't just choose something that no one has ever agreed to or has any responsibility for. But that's what they did. It's not any of your medical debt. I get that probably wasn't by choice. We can't help that things happen sometimes. It's not your, not even your car payment. You know, you can't help that you chose that car. You could have chosen a cheaper one. You know that. But you wanted that one. Let's be honest. Yours college, of course. You had to get that whatever the worthless degree was. It might even be worth, it might be, even be a good degree, but you went too soon and you got a degree that you don't really care about anymore because you don't want to do that. That's why my degree's worthless. I could go to a semester of college, probably might, might need a couple. I could go and I could be a teacher if I wanted to be. Now, did I go get a worthless degree? No. You get hired as a teacher pretty easily. It's worthless to me because I don't want to be a teacher anymore because I hadn't fully decided what I wanted to do before I went to college, which is why I just I just left and I never went back. Therefore, I got a worthless college loan, a bunch of them. All right, still paying on them right now. 
It's not that. That's not what you should have to pay for. It should be reparations. Something that you have nothing to do with because you never held any slaves and money that you should pay to people who were never slaves. And who responds to this tweet? None other than Nina Turner with not one or two but or three or four or five or even six but seven fire emojis. That is how on fire this idea was that there is nothing in this life that you should have to pay for that you received other than pain reparations to black people. That is the only thing that you owe as a human being is money to her. You think we're done with reparations right now? No, because Nina Turner still existed another day this week. And so therefore we can still talk about her. Many of you saw this one. Black folks are not demanding reparations from white folks. I read that. I was like, okay, good. Means I don't have to pay any BS reparations, right? The demand is for the United States government, whose economy was built on the labor of enslaved people, whose laws allow black codes, Jim Crow, and redlining to repay that debt. Okay, so it's not black people demanding reparations from white people. It's just from the United States government. Were there terrible things? Of course. Slavery, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, black codes, Jim Crow. Of course, really bad things. But where does the United States government get its money, Nina? And would you, wouldn't you know it? She answered the question. But the problem is, here's, here's the deal. You're going to get the reparations from the government. Okay, well, the government's got to get its money from somewhere. It's either going to tax everyone, or it's going to borrow, or it's going to print. Those are the ways it's going to get money. This person says, who do you think funds the government, Nina? And she responds with, the government itself issues currency. So who funds the government? It's just going to issue the currency. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Why do we pay taxes in the first place? I hate, This is people's fallback. This is your MMT argument. Like, oh, yeah, I know that we can't possibly pay for this. I know we can't. We're just going to print the money for it. All right, so why are we still taxing people? You know, let's just stop. Let's just print all the money, right? Let's just deal with it that way. That's a great idea. So the government itself issues currency. You know what happens when the government issues currency and gives it directly out to people, especially when it gives it back directly to people in the form of payments that they can then immediately use? Inflation. Inflation happens to people. And wouldn't you know it, who is it that gets most affected by inflation? But poor people first. Those are the people who get affected first. Now, I'm not saying that means that black people get affected first, but statistically, that would be, but of course, they'll have the money to pay for the extra inflation. So that's fine, except for when that money runs out. And then everyone else will have to... Not get listen, this is a recipe for absolutely destroying what is left of our country. If you have reparation printed money, you literally print funny money for black people to use at grocery stores, and then it leads to increased prices for everyone, but only one group of people gets the extra money to use on things. You it's done at that time. I'm gonna start buying MREs to put in the basement that I don't have. I'll build a basement. And I'll buy some MREs and I'm going to put them down there at that time. Sometimes you just kind of give up, you know, and that leads you to come up with some great solutions, really great stuff. 
really wonderful things like uh, Chicago. Chicago Democrat asked gang members to refrain from shootouts between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. This, I know that you think I'm joking right now, if you haven't heard anyone else talk about this. How do you get to this point where people are just, this is where they're at? Like, you know these people who won't stop the murder? They won't stop murdering people? I really hope that they can find it in their hearts to only murder between the hours of 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. 9 a.m. seems a little late, though, doesn't it? Are they just trying to use 9 to 9? Use your 9 from 9 to 9? Is that what they want to do? I don't know. You know, because 9 a.m., like, kids are already going to school and stuff. So, you'd be out after a late night of murder and still be catching kids. I don't know. A crime-ridden, lawless, democratic city is being asked to limit shooting their guns in the streets to nighttime. Only nighttime shots. Which is when it's it's more dangerous to shoot at that time because you can't see as well. I think we should only do it during the day. I think the issue here is that the shooters can't see very well. Chicago Democratic Alderwoman or Night Vision for All. There's another. See, I got good plans here. Maybe Night Vision for All. You help out with that. Supply everyone with Kevlar vests. But what about when people can't sleep at night? I know I'm supposed to be reading this piece, but then you hear gunshots all night. So we need suppressors going out to everyone or silencers or sound machines if you don't have a gun you get a free sound machine and then if you got a gun you get a free suppress like try to keep the noise violence down also you see libertarians should run everything chicago democratic alderwoman maria Haddon asked gang members to refrain from shootouts between 9 a.m and 9 p.m to reduce the risk that people not involved in high-risk activities So if you didn't choose to play the shootout game that night, you're not forced to be involved in it. An email from Rogers Park-based Native Sons, known as the People's Ordinance, said making a deal with dangerous gang members will help keep the liberal city safe from accidental killings. Is this a binding contract? Like if they shoot outside of those hours, they'll get in trouble? Or it's just kind of a handshake agreement? I'm not sure. We have to start somewhere, co-founder of Native Sons. Atkins said, our goal is to approach our city's gun violence problems strategically and not all at once. Things didn't become this way overnight and change won't happen overnight. Shootings are up significantly, with Chicago police suggesting a reunited gang war between the local gangster disciples and Black P. Stones and Uptown is to blame. I'm not up on my gangs, but you got GD and BPS shooting it out down there. If people know that after a certain hour, the likelihood of them being shot by an unknown or unprovoked assailant is at a higher risk, they will be less likely to be out and about. Kind of like having a lockdown sort of thing. You know, you go outside, you get shot. And they may become more proactive with the supervision of their children. When those who live a certain lifestyle try to hang with regular class citizens, they put everyone at risk. In other words, when nighttime hits, the city turns into the purge. Why don't we just tell everyone that one day of the year, totally fine. You just do whatever. It's like there is like a purge every night, although only they're supposed to get in trouble. They're not really allowed to do it, but it's just a nightly purge. Totally fine. Here's the uh, flyer going around online, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., no shooting. You would reach the gang members better if you just told them that they could shoot from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., but you're saying no shooting from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., when previously it used to be no shooting. 
from 9 p.m. to 9 p.m. of the of the following day. Well, they didn't like that one, so let's just try half of the time. Uh, United for a safe summer. Let's see if it works. You know what? I'm all for trying stuff. That's totally fine. Maybe you should get out of these cities, though, folks. It's way better out here in uh, Tennessee. Get get out of Chicago if you're listening to me right now. It's time to leave. The best time to leave Illinois was 15 years ago, and the uh, second best time is tomorrow. Okay? Just time to get out of there. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk about the GOP front runners. We're going to go through, yes, a few clips from last week's debate that I thought were really important. Make some points maybe you haven't heard on those yet. We'll talk about Vivek and DeSantis and Trump. All that coming up on Liberty at Night. It was a GOP debate that uh, mostly just doesn't matter. I think we all know that. Trump, as long as he is alive and not in prison and still legally eligible for the office, is going to be the Republican nominee, just given the polls right now. It'd be really tough for him to not be the nominee. I think you had a couple people that are trying to be the vice president. Other than that, I don't know what everyone's motivations are. Maybe so they can write a book later and sell some copies. I'm not exactly sure. But I do have a few clips that I thought were important enough to talk about. As far as the candidates go, the performance... I think Vivek Brahmaswamy had the the best night overall, although I will say by the end of the night, I had nicknamed him Vivek Ramaswamy because he he comes off a little fake to me. That might just be his personality. Maybe he is this tech bro and uh, pharma bro, whatever he is. He comes off as a tech bro, basically, and uh, that's just the way he talks, I guess. Maybe I'm so jaded in the in this political life that I just think that it's all fake. Or maybe it is all actually fake, because most of the time it is. He had a few good clips, though. Chris Christie got some digs in. It's not really going to matter. Ron DeSantis, honestly, I think it, I barely remembered that he was even up there on stage. Nikki Haley said a few things that I thought were pretty good, although foreign policy is terrible with her and as well as a lot of other policies, so she wouldn't get my vote. Most of these people aren't going to get my vote. In fact, uh, basically none of them will, because I'll probably be voting Libertarian. I guess I could vote in the Republican primary, though. Who knows? I'll play a couple clips from Vivek. There's one thing that Pence said in a back and forth with Vivek that I really didn't like. The one that most people are talking about does come from Ramaswamy and Christie, and I will play that This is when, uh, let's see, this is when they were talking about climate change, and this was one of the best exchanges of the night. Republicans, I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. Now, first off, I will say this is him. He is trying to do the the Trump 2.0 thing. Vivek is. And it's pretty obvious. He's the only person on stage that isn't bought and paid for. That Let's be honest, that's mostly true. He's self-funding his campaign uh, just like Trump did. Uh, and he's calling out everyone else up there. And, uh, and he's, you know, saying some pretty strong statements. 
Of course, everyone took major offense to someone saying something like that out loud, but I thought that was pretty good. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. And so the reality is, more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate change. Governor, Governor Haley, are you bought and paid for? Hold on, hold on. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. Okay, I, th- I thought that line was pretty good. Uh, I'm sure he had that pre-planned, but saying that he sounds like ChatGPT, I get it. I get, that's probably why I nicknamed him the fake by the end of the night. I thought it was a good line. I'm not saying it's true, but good on Christy for that one, at least. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing in stage tonight. And, and you'll help elect me just like you did Obama, too. Give me that the same type of amateur. Hold on. Hold on. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? And then Nikki Haley, she had this she had this line ready to go to use at the right moment. And it was the best time for her to say it. I don't agree with the line, but I'm biased. But here's what she said. Brett, what for? I would like to say is the fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Okay, so there's that. Pretty good exchange between Christie and Vivek, likening Vivek to Barack Obama. And then uh, Vivek came back and said, well, why don't you give me a hug like you hugged Obama? And uh, maybe you'll help get me elected like you helped Obama get reelected and all that. So eh, it was good. It's good stuff. He said the climate change agenda was a hoax. He didn't say climate change itself was a hoax. He said the climate change agenda was a hoax. And I completely agree with him. I saw someone say online and I'll echo it. Uh, we solved if you're if you're concerned about climate change and concerned about the environment, we solved it a long time ago with the creation of nuclear energy. Very clean energy and these days very very safe Uh, so if you actually care about that we'd all be pushing more towards nuclear energy but that's not what these people want to do they want to hand out subsidies and hand out billions of dollars to companies that are making solar panels and wind farms and people buying up land for all that and you you could just be going for nuclear energy but that's not really the focus is it really has a lot more to do with money let's see what else we got okay from nikki haley she had a really good line it was pretty early in the night kind of surprised me she said a couple things that i liked in fact while we were doing the live stream i i said ron paul is that you uh with some of the things that she was saying i know that she's uh she's not ron paul but she did call out republicans for spending too much money in this clip. Well, I don't care about polls. What I care about the fact is 
that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill, they left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so I, I thought that was a, a very real moment from okay real i don't know her well enough to know that uh, she actually cares about all of those things but that's a gutsy thing to stand up at a primary debate uh, when of course there's tons of trump supporters and he's winning by such wide margins and to sit there and call out republicans in general and to say things like their taxpayer dollars it's not the government's dollars they need to stop the spending that's good i, I like those things I just wish that I believed uh, she was a real person. Let's see. I'm going to skip past the Pence one real quick. We'll do a couple of Vivek. He had the the best moment. That I I believe the most clips uh, that you're going to see on Twitter are going to be Vivek Ramaswamy sparring back and forth or just some of the things uh, that he said in general. They were asked whether or not they would support sending more money to Ukraine. And he was the one who said no, that we needed to get out of that. Eventually, at one point, he ended up getting getting booed when he started speaking about it again after Pence. I'm not playing that part because I'm grabbing a clip off of Twitter, but I'll say I'll show you what he said about Ukraine. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the same thing for people in Maui or the south side of Chicago or Kensington. I think that we have to put the interests of Americans first, secure our own border instead of somebody else's. And the reality is, this is also how we project strength by making America strong at home. All right, so first off, he wants to not protect ukraine's borders he wants to use those resources and troops to protect america's borders so he is a border hawk he's a china hawk i I still have these issues with ramaswamy and then christy goes into the story about why he went to ukraine and he saw you know he talks about here's how many people are in this in this arena right now imagine there being even more people and kids being stolen and sent to Russia to get repro and and he tells this Christie tells a sad story and the murderous Putin and all that. And I get it that there's I don't think we're denying that bad things are going on in Ukraine. That can't be the reason there are bad things going on in tons of countries around the world. Dozens of countries there are terrible genocidal things going on. That can't be the reason that you decide to use Americans' money or eventually American troops to protect those people. 
but there is still this world police attitude and all you got to do is tell some kind of sad story to get people to feel bad and emotionally decide that they're going to do that and i'm sick of that and i am glad that vivek is at least not going down that path with them uh what else did we have here uh, once again, another one, uh, Vivek and Christy. I think these were the best clips of the night. He calls out Christy and his uh, Trump derangement syndrome in this one. You raise your hand supporting. No, I'd like to hey. get in and respond. Let's just speak the truth, okay? President Trump, I believe, was the best president of the 21st century. It's a fact. And Chris Christy, honest to God, your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance would be a lot more credible if your entire campaign were not based on vengeance and grievance against one man, and if people at home want to see a bunch of people blindly bashing Donald Trump without an iota of vision for this country, they could just change the channel to MSNBC right now. But I'm not running for president of MSNBC. I am running for president of the United States. We're skating on thin ice, and we cannot set a precedent where the party in power uses police force to indict its political opponents. It is wrong. We have to end the weaponization of justice in this country. Okay, the, the line about vengeance and grievance towards Christie was good. Uh, that is what Christie's campaign uh, is really centered around. I also think that Trump's campaign is that Christie's right. His campaign is centered around vengeance and grievance. I don't think Trump cares about the American people. I, I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I do think that this is all about righting the wrongs that he think were perpetrated against him. And then I'll disagree with Vivek. Uh, that he what he said at the end of that and people listening it's fine if you disagree with me i I think that even presidents uh, can break the law and should be held accountable for that so whether or not you agree with what's going on with the indictments with trump listen the timing is purely political they timed this to happen during the republican primary these are all things that happened years ago uh, that they've known about, that they've waited until the primary. And so I do I do think that there's actual election interference going on right now. And so maybe that means, since they didn't do it a couple of years ago, uh, that they need to wait and let the American people decide on this. I can agree with that. But I'm not going to say that presidents should not be subject to the law when they break it. And even though the case has not gone all the way through, he's not been proven guilty in a court of law, Listen, did did Trump take classified documents that he wasn't supposed Did Trump knowingly take classified documents and try to hide them and try to keep them when he knew that he was not supposed to and he knew that he was breaking the law? Yeah, come on, y'all. The answer is yes to that. And so then my question is, did you think that Hillary Clinton should have gotten in trouble for her email thing? Just be honest with yourself. Did you think that Hillary Clinton should have gotten in trouble? Now... Was it because you are so philosophically and morally protective of classified documents and the law that you want it to be uh, applied evenly to everyone? Or was it because Hillary Clinton was a Democrat and she was running for president and you wanted a Republican to win? One of those answers is not the right answer. Okay, but it, it can be the answer. You can say, well, it's because she's a Democrat and I didn't want her to win. And now you don't think Trump should be uh, prosecuted for it either uh, because he's a Republican and you don't want the Democrats to win. If it's because you cared about the classified documents in the law, the fact that Hillary Clinton got away with it 
cannot be your reasoning for why Trump should be able to get away with it, because then you're saying you don't actually care about the classified documents and what the law is. And you can't say, well, because one person got away with it, then everyone else should be able to get away with it, too. That's not how we should apply our laws. If you agree that people should not have these classified documents and they should not break the law and it should be applied evenly, that sucks for Trump. Uh, That Clinton didn't get indicted and that she's not in prison or whatever, but that doesn't mean that he didn't commit the crime and it doesn't mean he shouldn't pay the time or or whatever the same would be on that uh let's see i will give you that i think this is vivek's closing statement i wasn't there for the closing because this thing just went on way longer than what i thought it was going to and uh, we just in the live group just ended up chatting back and forth uh, a little bit there at the end and not really listening to the debate I think this was his closing statement and this is why people like him and why I still, I still like him uh, because he's the only person who's, who's really saying anything that is inspiring remotely uh, about the future. There is one good thing I, I, I like about him and it is that he is inspiring. He does present a great vision and he's, I know this is weird, but he's always smiling. He, he was smiling like all night when he was doing this. Maybe that's weird, but it, it reminds me loosely uh, of, you know, who used to smile all the time when he was just destroying people? Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman was always calm. He, was, he seemed happy. He seemed right. And he, he seemed so positive and so sure that what he, he knew that what he was saying was right that he didn't let the other people that disagree with him get get to him because he was solidly grounded in the morality of what he was saying. And Vivek does come off that way to me. Maybe he oversells it just a little bit. Maybe he's a little bit too much like a, like a preacher or something like that, or a, a, a tech bro in California, I don't know. Uh, but let's listen to his closing arguments. I was born in 1985, and I grew up into a generation where we were taught to celebrate our diversity and our differences so much that we forgot all of the ways we are really just the same as Americans, bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion in 1776. And this is our moment to revive those common ideals. God is real. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to man. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. There are three branches of government, not four. And the U.S. Constitution, it is the strongest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what will win us the revolution of 2024. Thanks for letting me introduce myself tonight. Thank you. Okay, he's he's using some great words. I like that word revolution. It's a good one. It plays well. That was a great statement. I agree. Uh, he's a he's a little hockey on immigration and and trade and things like that. But uh, you know, if I were gonna gun to my head, I was gonna vote in the Republican primary today. 
And uh, let's say that, see, here's the issue. One thing I feel bad about. It would, okay, Larry Elder, who was not on the stage, is actually the most libertarian person up there. Uh, well, who should have been up there, I believe. Uh, and I keep forgetting that he's running in the Republican primary. And sadly, he's not going to get a chance to get up there and uh, talk in a debate with these people. And I think he would have done a really great job last night. Uh, so to say the statement I was about to say, I have to assume that Larry Elder ends up dropping out. But gun to my head, I'm going to vote in the Republican primary. I would, I would vote for Vivek. Once again, I have one more clip. And this is really about what Pence had to say, but it involves Vivek. One more time. Uh, this was essentially Pence responding to, uh, to Vivek saying that this was a dark time in America, and Pence did not like that. We're not looking for a new national identity. The American people are the most faith-filled, freedom-loving, idealistic, hard-working people the world has ever known. We just need government as good as our people. Well, Mike, I think the difference is you might have, some others like you may have on the stage, it's morning in America speech. It is not morning in America. We live in a dark moment, and we have to confront the fact that we're in an internal, sort of cold, cultural civil you war. Are and we have to recognize the that people with a failed win. government in Washington, D.C. We just need government as good as our people again. So I can, so let me just finish addressing that slogan wait, wait because I don't know what that slogan Brett, means. Mark, we need to shut down the administrative state. That's actually how we translate it. Crime has been Mark, on the rise. Okay. We just need... You are equating the failed... You're equating the American people with the failed government in Washington, D.C. We just need government as good as our people again. Who votes for the people that are in Washington, D.C.? Who keeps putting these people in power? Who lets this administrative state keep going? Who knows that we have another president and they don't get rid of the administrative state, uh, that they keep letting the DOJ get more and more powerful, and, and the whole thing just keeps going? I'm sorry, folks, but it's the American people. We still get to vote. And our government is a consequence of decisions that the American people have made. And the American people, as more and more time goes on, have decided that they want to trade their liberty for a false sense of security. That's just, it's just what it is. The change does not need to happen in the government. It, it needs to happen in the people, and that will change the government. We could have the exact same people stay in power in government. But if the American people, if they know that they will all lose their jobs, if they continue doing the things that they are doing, then they'll change because they are just empty vessels that are out there trying to keep their jobs. It is the incentive process. It, it is the incentives that are put in front of them by the voting public that allows the government in Washington, D.C. to be what the government in Washington, D.C. is. So it's not just that we need better leaders. Okay, that means that the people have to pick better leaders. Who puts those leaders in place? Pence, I don't understand what he's saying. 
Because what he's saying is, oh, the, oh, the people are great. We just need better. Well, guess what? They're not going to put you in power, Pence. You've got no chance of being the president. So what does that mean? It's the government's fault? It's the people. He's, he destroys his own argument by knowing in knowing that he's not going to get elected president. Like, he has to know this. And so I don't understand the argument that he's making. We just need better government. We need government that's as good as the people. The people do need to change. We do need this national revival, this revolution mindset that Vivek is talking about. He's not the perfect person for the job. This is not an endorsement of him. It's an endorsement of him over the other people that were on the stage. DeSantis, I don't think, really had any great moments last night. Ever since I saw clips of him looking like Homelander from The Boys, it's all I think about. I'm sorry. he. I don't know anything about him, really. He's uh, signed some laws, and he's done some a lot of things in Florida that I already didn't agree with. Uh, before these, before he was even running for president, we already had a lot of problems with DeSantis. So there's my debate recap, as much as that matters. Unfortunately, I think it really doesn't. Listen, like I said 25 minutes ago, uh, barring Trump being dead or legally ineligible uh, to be on the ballot, he's going to be the Republican nominee. It's going to be Trump versus Biden, assuming he is still alive at that time, too. And isn't it great that we've made it to a point where I'm putting caveats on who's going to be on the ballot next year based on whether or not they live that long? Mm, That's great. Go to BernieLies.com if you want to get all the links for Good Morning Liberty, our daily podcast. This has been Liberty at Night, every Tuesday on the Free Talk Live Network. Thank you. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com